Welcome to Own It. We bring together non-scientific thinking and practice on product ownership. In this episode, we're going to talk about Carmen's trip to Montreal, attending a tech meetup called Data for Good, and her new job that's upcoming next week. Rick is going to talk about job description for product owners and what is job family for product management. It was a week had gone by since our last episode. Uh, we have a couple of listeners. Um, they are kind of scattered over the podcast networks. Uh, I have one feedback from. One of one of what seven? One of six? I think five. Okay, one of five listeners. <laughs> so embarrassing, but it's okay. We'll we'll, we'll get there. We'll build I think up. Like our... two out of five is me and you. So oh, probably. So <laughs> technically, only like, there's only one. Listener. Like one, yeah. Okay. One. Um, okay. So anyway, so one listener uh, provided some feedback. Um, the person uh, is is not in the same industry that we're in. Uh, he has a mechanical engineering background, so the the work that they do are much more traditional, uh, in the sense that projects, scope, resources, and time are uh, essentially to what they have to do. Like I think the the leeway and changes that are allowed are very minimal. Where in the in the software space, you know, there are rules that can be bent. And anyways, so. One of his first comment was, you know, what's the relevance? What's the relevancy to own it? I think we need to provide some feedback or provide some instructions or kind of guidance in why we're doing this podcast. Uh, so I think we, both both Carmen and myself, we are intertwined in a way that we are always talking about products. Uh, we work in the software industry for a long time. For the since I think since we graduated from university, we've been uh, well. At least I have. I've been in you know QA, BA, PM, everything that there is to do for a software project. The only thing that I, I, I didn't do was QA. Uh, sorry, not QA. Development. So I, I didn't do any development, and I don't particularly enjoy developing. Uh, just not my forte. Um, but I, I think the the goal for our podcast is to, you know, provide our experience uh, for any listeners out there that are, you know, maybe they're succeeding, maybe they're struggling in their day to day product type role. You know, it could be a someone who's a, a developer who's going through uh, a project lifecycle that involves software development. Uh, it could be a QA who you know is inspired to. Do more than what they are doing today. It's not, it's not just manual testing. There's automation testing, and so on. Um, maybe people who who wants to get into product design, who wants to go into product management. Uh, what does that mean for them? Um, I know. think it, just in general, it's it's a reminder for ourselves too, right? We right. have to own the work that we do. So we each have to own the thing that we produce, whether it's a fail project. Or a successful launch, the process we try to implement at work, just own it, bitch. <laughs> wow. Yeah. 
No, I, I think that that's a good point, right? Like in in, in a lot of in a lot of people's work, um, you know, it may not necessarily be software. It's the the role that you're in, you the responsibility that you take on to make sure that the project succeed. Uh, that's that's kind of product product ownership. Project ownership is something different. I think to different people it means different things, uh, but to us really is, you know, how do we take a product from inception to to full on delivery, right? Um, so this podcast really is to share our experience, um, you know, record our memories in terms of what we've done. Uh, we do retrospective in terms of what we have done in the past week. Or in the in the most recent memories that we can we can remember, uh, and just you know just want to share it. Okay, so I think uh, hopefully hopefully that covers it. Anyone that has comments or feedback, or anyone just starting in this product design, product ownership field, we would like your feedback too. Like, what have you experienced, and what were your expectations when you when you work in this field? New grads. It's very different than what you study in school. Um, well, at least for us, we we study very theoretical stuff. But then when you're out in the field, there's so much more. And yeah, yeah. So I, I think in in the in the product space, you don't deal with what you're or you're good at. You you all, you often have to be very cross functional. You know, it's very similar to what a project manager does he he or she will go through different departments different functional teams um you know to gather requirements to you know facilitate discussions and um you know talk to essentially just talk to a different group of people to get a project going so if from a product space i think that pretty much means the same thing too you go and you talk to different stakeholders that are relevant to your project to your product you talk to the customer themselves to get feedback Right, you get talk to the customers, not just for the feedback, but also to kind of solicit requirements as well. Um, and then you also talk to your legal counsel, you talk to your HR, you talk to your client success, you talk to several different people, uh, just to help you get the product going. Um, so I think that there, there are a lot of similarities. Okay, so I think. Uh, the furnace kind of turned off. <laughs> so I, I, this microphone is going to pick up every single noise that's just, that's around us. Um, oh, and we're testing a new head, uh, new microphone. The one that we had before was just a built-in. No, we, we, we used the phone. Oh, we used, we our, used the phone? Our, our, our iPhone to record our first episode. And this one sounds pretty good. We got this Black Friday thing. Yeah, this Black Friday deal. And the day hasn't ended yet. We're already testing out the mic. Pretty cool. <laughs> And it has a it has many different mode for this microphone. It's a what is this called? Yeti. It's a Yeti Yeti microphone. For anyone out there who want to get into podcasts, they have different models. But yeah. whatever, just so do your research. Yeah, invest invest in a good microphone. Uh, if you want to do interview type recordings, this is perfect. It has this bi-directional uh, mode. Um, anyways, that's not that's not important. Uh, okay, let's talk about. Carmen, what did you do this week? What, 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 what was the interesting thing that happened in the past seven days? So three, was it four out of seven days? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was in Montreal. I went on a trip with a girlfriend because I think 
well, as a mother of two, I haven't been able to enjoy street photography for a while. And yeah, can, you, can you tell people what you used to do? In, in I the used past? to do. Yeah. Photography wise. Oh, I, I did some very minimum, like wedding photography or just go out and take pictures with my buddy. Event photography. Right? Event photography. Yeah. Mm. So, like, for example, some. What did I do? The wedding, a, a Sri Lankan wedding or Indian wedding or non-Asian weddings. <laughs> they have like two or three days festivals and then celebrations. And I enjoy going to the bride and the groom's house to capture their henna parties and dancing and all these stuff. So for people who doesn't know, we are, we're Asians. <laughs> Carmen and I were Chinese. Uh, we 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 grew up in Canada, in Toronto specifically. So Toronto is a pretty big mix pot in terms of different cultures, different type of ethnicities. So Carmen, when you do these event photographies, is it very eye opening? Yeah, yeah. It it like you get to learn about other cultures and you chat with other people. That's the one thing I like about doing photography. It's you. Get to interact with people that you don't know, like strangers, um, and they're usually pretty open about talking about their personal lives with you, even though you're a stranger.、Um, yeah, I think we're we diverge too much from the topic. We,、oh. we should go back to yeah, yeah. So, so for these three days, I was just in Montreal taking pictures, but then I also went to a meetup. In Montreal, it's pretty spontaneous.、Um, we just look up what else we can do, and we found this meetup at night. It's called Data for Good. So their their goal is to make Montreal better through data science. They're a community of data professionals. So some some people there. It's a pretty big group.、Um, people who went are like retired、uh, data scientists, not data scientists. He's Retired researcher, I think.、And、who has a passion in just working, working on data? Yeah,、um, and there are a lot of postgraduates, PhDs, people who are just starting to work in the data science field. There's a physician there. There's also like I think a marketing specialist who are interested in helping them out.、Um, so what they do, this group. They provide data analytics services to registered charities and non-for-profit organizations.、Um, so me and my friend went there just to sit down and see if we can help or what can we learn from this group.、Uh, there's some good takeaways. Like everyone there is so passionate about helping other people using data,、um, using their knowledge. So something like something that money can't buy, I think. <laughs> like I'm sure you can pay them and to do it, but the whole point,、um, they all have a common goal that they don't want to sell the data to big companies. So they're doing this this for free,、um, just for free. This is for for the better part of the community. Yeah,、right? it's not meant for. Uh, for earning money for, by mining data, no, yeah, that's not their goal. Because I think all these data are are probably available everywhere, 
but you know without actually knowing what the objective of the of the measurements are you are simply just going to this sea of data and you don't you don't really know what you can get out of it but these these guys do they have do they have goals and measurements that they want to do and trying to figure out what's in the data that can benefit the the community that they're in so the session that i went they collect some very old surveys from a i don't know how to pronounce this maison de Famel or something. I'm sorry, my French is terrible. Basically, it's for um, helping women who have experienced violent in uh, a, a violent abuse, and they have all these data surveys that they've captured, and they have to store it, uh, aggregate it to generate some kind of insight in how to how to help these uh, group of people. I think right now they're still testing the data or like looking into the data. They haven't gone through, they haven't finished processing the data yet. Um, they need help because the way that they do the survey is through paper. So someone has to do the data entry and then um, organize all these different entries from different uh, locations. So they have different uh, demographic, demographic you know, no, no, no. Like, you know how United Way, they have like a chapter in Toronto or like yeah, Mississauga. Yeah. So they have different houses that, that host the data and is host internally because of data privacy and things like that. So somehow they have to gather all these uh, data f from different parts of the same organization. So they and can, then they, they're actually... They're actually aggregating all these data from different chapters. Yeah, yeah. Is that, that is that even is that even legal? It's the same same. No, it's the same group, group just from different chapters, just from different locations. Oh, so, okay. yeah. Um, I haven't thought of like what I haven't joined the, their Slack group because I'm not sure if I have the time to dedicate myself to meet up. And also, this is the local chapter. In Montreal. <laughs> in Montreal. So but then, um, no, no, they they speak English. But I think the organizer, I think Victor, he said that there's a Toronto chapter too. So maybe I can um, join the one in Toronto. It's so, called Data for Good. So let's just go on tangent a little bit here. The this this data science initiative, even though this is, I appreciate that this is for good cause. Um, how how does this tie into your day to day work? Do, do you do, does your workplace emphasizes on data science quite a bit? Are they is this part of the the roles that someone is 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 doing, or is this something that your company is just kind of dipping into it? Um, what, are, for... what are your thoughts on data science in in, in products? I think for me, it's mostly for self-interest. Um, the last company that I worked at is very heavy on data. So everything has to be like, has to have a metric or like a KPI or something to prove or like an ROI, all these acronyms. Mm -hmm. KPI uh, stands for what? Key uh, performance indicators. And ROI is like return on investment. Um, so... I think I've been brainwashed <laughs> to to look at things from the data side, 
But from a design perspective, I'm also interested in doing research more, um, qualitative, quantitative, um, just to get my hands dirty and do do research. Do you, do you think that data is important on how you make your design decisions? Um, it could influence the design, I think. I wouldn't say it's important. It depends on the project. So it's hard to say. So I, I haven't had the fortunate experience in a different workplace that I, that I, I was at since I was always focused on delivering of you know, a product from inception to go live. And typically I will hand off and then move on to the next delivery project. Um, never actually dive in and be part of the data science where you know, the, the, the system that you've built had collected data for mm-hmm. you know, at least a couple of months. And then you're kind of diving into the data and see, oh, you know, what, what does the experience look like for, for this group of user? Like that, that has never been something that I, I dabbed into. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that there are, I think data science is, gonna, is becoming something that are more intricate and more intertwined with everything that we, we do. I mean, like if you look at the Google Mini, Home Mini, the, the one that does a smart, they call it smart speakers, but they're constantly listening, right? They're, they're constantly collecting data and they're constantly synthesizing our voices and try to understand what we're saying, right? These, these, this is a form of data science, right? Like people are collecting these information. They are trying to get something out of it. Assuming that this, the, the, that little box thing, the speaker, the, yeah, the speaker <laughs> it has built in microphone. So it, it knew, it probably knew that I, I went out and bought a microphone today because it's black Friday. So it's jealous right now. It's not jealous, <laughs> but I, I'm like someone, someone at Google must be looking at all this. There is like, okay, what did these people buy? I mean, that's, that's one input to all the data that's out there, right? Like Google, a lot of people use Gmail and there are a lot of email comes in with a lot of, you know, confidential private information stuff that they bought online i'm sure people out there are mining all these important information on on user behaviors stuff they bought you know community the communication between people like Mm -hmm. google has all these data so so i'm thinking that in order for you to have a product that collects data your product must be at a stage where you know there are a whole bunch of users on it uh, and I start collecting all these data and try to make some relevancy mm-hmm. out of it. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm I'm a bit jealous in terms of where you are in, in your career, where the products that you're looking at are, you guys are not starting from scratch. You guys are actually building and improving existing products, mm-hmm. right? And then you guys are collecting data. I'm hoping that I can get into that in, mm-hmm. in the near future too. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else did you learn in the, sorry, that was a huge tangent. Um, what else did you learn at that conference? Or that meetup? It's, not a, it's just a meetup. So um, I didn't learn anything technical, what, which I was hoping to act, to have them actually dive into their data and then see them do the analysis, um, see how they discuss different types of data, different pieces of data, but they didn't do that. Um, yeah, what did I learn? Well, I learned that people are like data science is not just for 
academic studies. Like physicians, he is interested. So I'm interested in why he's interested <laughs> in 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 data for good, right? So you're interested because because he's interested. Else, else is interested. So <laughs> I, I want to know why he's interested. You're kind of leeching off of their positive energy. Too. Yeah. So yeah, that's the positive energy that I got. So another thing I got out from this is the the organizer. Victor, I think his name is Victor. Sorry if I got your name wrong. Um, he he said he's a dad of two and he has to drive two hours to get to this meetup. That's that's some dedication. So I don't know how old his kids are. Maybe it's a bit older than my kid, but I want to be able to do something down the road where the kids are good, you know, settle down, going to school, autopilot mode and. I get to do some other stuff at night, side projects or weekends, or even bring them there to meetups. That'll be cool. I think everybody talks about side projects, side gig. There, what was it? Side hustle. Side hustle. Like, do, is that really worth our time? I don't know. It's your interest, like it's your hobby kind of thing. I Could it? Uh, I guess uh, I see it from from the angle of. Steady extra income. It doesn't really necessarily have an income. Like this one, there's no income. But I want to be able to like do some data visualization stuff and pick up R again. I thought we we're just fulfilling your your radio dream, being Maybe. a radio show host. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. Um, okay, so let's talk about you're starting something soon next week.、Mm -hmm. What's what's that about? So, got a new job as a senior UX designer.、Um, what, what's, a, what's a UX? So, UX is user experience designer. I don't have my job description in front of me, <laughs> but essentially, is to、um, work with product managers, product owners, and probably the customer feedback team as well. I will find out more details on Monday. What, what does what does it mean in layman's term? Like what you do? What I do?、Um, Any examples?、Hmm. Simple examples. Simple examples. So let's say you have、uh, what's a what's a site? An Amazon site, and you're trying to buy something online, but you cannot. I don't know. Simply just add the stuff to the cart to check out. You have to like register and set up all these things. So these are the before you check out. These are the experience that the user sees and feels when they're when they interact the site, with a、right? website、yeah. okay. or a software. And I am the person behind it who does studies、uh, to study how you use your site. You use our site and、um, make it better. Better in the sense of make make it easier for you to use. Okay, essentially, will I feel better after using it? Or if you you're supposed to, you you're supposed to feel more happy and and make it seamless, like make it natural to you to use this website or software. Right.、Um, so let's let's talk about this new role that you're you're going into. Any? <laughs> what's the what's the industry that the company is in? Let's not talk about like the name of these companies. So we'll, we'll keep. Once I say it, people, there's like not a few, I guess. It's like human, 
human capital management company. What does that mean? Like manage people so like <laughs> or HR, payroll, so HR, HR payroll. Related. Yeah. Okay, so that's what the company is in. Mm-hmm. And then, do you know the project that you're gonna go into? Um, I'm gonna look be assigned to HR, so human resources. How? Uh, so, I think our software is not like an everyday website that people use. It's more like a corporate or behind the scene. Um, administration thing that people will use, um, which is what I'm interested in. Also, more enterprise level software um, application than uh, shopping cart or e-commerce website. Although e-commerce can be very complicated too, right? But um, not not like uh, I don't know single use. Single-use website. The only HR software that I've used is uh, Bamboo, Bamboo HR. Uh-huh. I don't know how. It's also PeopleSoft. It's also yeah. Well, I haven't, I haven't been to companies that are that sophisticated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, any any goals, any uh, aspirations in terms of what you want to achieve in this new role? So this new role is sort of like a reset for me, I think. Um, I find that after each mat leave, maternity leave, um, I tend to switch out like from my career. You make it sound like you do that a lot. Well, I had two. Ki- I had two kids. <laughs> I have two kids. Have two kids. So, so first kid, um, I also resign after I returned back to work and I went back to school to do my inclusive design studies. So that's kind of like a deviation, right, from my original UI designer role. Then I come back and then I got pregnant again. Yay. And (laughs) and now... Sounds like my fault. And then, um, (laughs) oh, for those of you who don't know, we are married. So... Kids. So it, it is his fault. <laughs> um, we, yeah, so the second mat leave, I took a longer time off, which I I love having the time to spend, second time around to spend the time with my kid. But then now I'm in a position where I think I am kind of behind in what I do. Behind, I behind in terms of... Just where the market is going and you feel like you're not not up to speed? Up to speed. I'm not as sharp and bright as people who've been working. But then... It takes time. Yeah, it takes time. Like I'm I'm off for a a year and a half, almost two years. So it's... it's, it's, I don't know. There's no comparison. I shouldn't compare. Hmm. So so, so what's the goal then? What what do you want to do? So for this... So Starting a, so this episode I called it a fresh s- slate. Did I pronounce it right? A new slate. A new slate. Starting over again. Yeah, starting over again. So before when I approached the UX designer or product, before I was in a product designer row or title. Title doesn't mean much. Um, it's to create a nice, not just nice, but functional UI user interface for the software 
But I think now I want to focus more on like I have to anchor, have an anchor somewhere that says my goal is to understand the problem. So every day, I, I'm my job is to help the company to understand what the problem is in the software. What the problems are in the software? Yeah. So user problems. Um, any problem? functional user like usability research, basically. So what makes and, a person tick? And using your my software? yeah, and my role and what I can provide to the company is find the pattern and rationalize um, the solution. So what are the characteristics of a good solution and then carry that off to to the uh, engineers so they can build a solution. So sound like people are going to be challenging you in terms of, you know, how do you make this this experience better for the user. Yeah. So and then, well, even if you can provide a solution, they're gonna challenge you on how did you how did you how did come, you come up, up with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why my interest in data science might help. Yeah. Okay. That's that sounds good. Then, well, keep us posted. Yeah. I'll week, let you know what happens. Let's see. Let's see what first week of orientation <laughs> looks like. You're gonna go in there. You're like, yeah. I don't think I'm gonna come back to this job. <laughs> No, I have hope. I have hope. Okay. But this is, you're going back to a company that you worked at before. Before they got bought out or before they joined, not bought out, before they merged with another company. So it's it's been like that for all my career life. Like I joined and then they merged. They join and then merge. And then and they join and then I join and then they merge. Well, business acquisition is something that happens often yeah. in this world. So, yeah. so are, are you are you excited? Are you nervous? Are you are you hesitant to try new things? Or are you, you know, since this is a reset mentality wise, are you going strong? Do you wanna you wanna own it? I'm gonna own it. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I'm too loud. <laughs> I just yelled in my ears. <laughs> That's good. Um, okay, so let's. Should, should we shift, How about you? Shift focus on me now. Yeah, what's up with with your uh, last week? Okay, so while I'm away. <laughs> while you're away, I was staying up late. One of the kids were did not like to sleep in the middle of the night. Anyway, that's that's just our family things. Not really important. Okay. Um, so at work so the company the company that i worked at is going through a huge growth spur space growth spur phase <laughs> phase it's, faster it sounds sounds bad okay. uh, so anyways they, they, they're, they're growing they're growing rapidly then uh, i think uh, the the leadership team are also learning on how to grow properly on how to do things properly right like as you when you manage 10 people in the company versus you manage 100 people, the, the approach has to be completely different. And I don't, I don't think that they had the experience to, to manage that. And, and so one of, one of the key areas that kind of falls short uh, are people's job descriptions. I don't think when I first applied to, to the company, I think they had a version of the job description, and but it was never updated. 
I don't think was ever reviewed. I don't even know if they still exist today. I'm sure there's a copy somewhere, but uh, I couldn't bother looking for it. Um, so I'm in the role of a, of a product owner. Uh, people will be like, what the heck is that? Right? Like, what, what, does a, what does a product owner do? In my mind, a product owner uh, has that grand vision of what the product should become. Right? Um, that person, the product owner, would work with uh, a delivery team of developers, engineers, QA. So I think we I think we talked about this last week. Mm. Um, you know, but again, kind of let's go back to to our conversation. So there is no job description. So I I went ahead and I wrote one for myself. Um, the the job description that I put together is nothing fancy. It's not different from I'm trying to keep it as close to industry standard as possible, even though this industry is relatively new. Um, at work, uh, we only have two product managers, two product owners, including myself. Um, we sat down together. We, we kind of take a look at our, what we do every single day. Um, you know, what, what falls into the area that we should be responsible for. What falls in, what goes in the area that we, you know, we should step away and let other people worry about it. Um, in, in a startup company, I have the mentality, I'm sure a lot of people have the same thing too, is that we're going to do whatever it takes to get things done. So what does that mean? That means I'm going to have to wear multiple hats. And having the ability to do multiple hats, is, I guess, is good. You're saving company money, but you're doing everything terrible. Like you're, there's not a single thing that you're doing. Like a generalist kind of thing? A, a, a very shitty generalist. Uh-huh. So I, I think when the company grows to a certain stage, they they really need to get rid of that mentality. It was okay to wear multiple hats when there's a 10, 10 people company. I think in the 100 people company, if you're still doing that, then something is seriously wrong with the structure of how things get done. Um, people talk about funneling, where mm-hmm. all the work come from. And then if you, if you are working in multiple roles, uh, the term conflict of interest will, will come up so, so often. It doesn't actually help. It actually hinders on how you Because you try to cut corners? Is it, that why? I'm pretty sure I'm cutting corners every day. <sighs> and, and I don't like that, right? Because like, when you look at the, at the end of the day, you look at the quality of your products, you know that the corners you've cut just to achieve uh, your delivery date, uh, to deliver something that you, you, you're giving to the, to the client, it's not fair. Like if I if I were in the client's shoes and I if I knew all the all the decisions that were made to come to this point, I I don't feel comfortable using that product. Mm-hmm. Right on, on the surface, you know, we, we on, on the surface we deliver everything the client asked for, test it thoroughly, everything is good. But what about the technical debt? What about how the system was built? Right? It, it becomes extremely difficult to expand your system. To build new features into it, and then people get get worn out and like, oh, I can't, I can't build this anymore because the system just so buggy. Or but like, is it because the product owner's decision to do something kind of, kind of, I don't know, limits the way the the software is supposed to be architecture in one way or another? So that that's, I guess, I think that's that's a yes in in that question. Yeah, because. Sometimes the product owner do work with architects. Sometimes there is no architect, right? Mm-hmm. And you're simply working with 
someone that you work closely with and they say, oh, I think we should develop something this way. They'd be like, oh, yeah, that, that, that sounds logical. Let's just go ahead and build it without validations or any feedback from, you know, higher up or from from technical people who knows those specialized area. Right. Um, so I think so. I think long story short, wearing multiple hat is not a good thing. And I think people can attest to that. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in smaller companies, I think it's fine, you know, just to get that momentum going. And but as company grow to a certain stage, a certain size, they need they really need to shed that type mentality, of mentality yeah. so that they can they can keep growing, right? Putting putting the right people in the right spot to do the right thing is essentially, I think, key to success. Um, sometimes a company love the old way of doing things, and it, they, it's hard for them to let that go. Um, so I I hope the company that I'm at right now realize that you know they need to put all that behind them. And that's, if you want to grow into a enterprise level, they really, really need to do things the right way. Um, you know, follow proper processes, you know, create policies, you know, all the, all uh, I came from startup companies, all this to me are what I consider. I, I don't particularly like the way that we do things just because everything kind of slows down. Even though you do things right, but it's, it moves slowly. And How fast do you want things to move? Like typically, what are your sprints like, and what are the, like how often? So how how fast do you want to go? <laughs> is is it because I'm, I want it fast, or is it because you know, client wants it fast? I think selfishly, I would like a bit more time than what the client asks of us. But the client's time is usually shorter, right? They want to go to market quicker. They want to have a product that stands out in, in the industry that we're in, right? So the dilemma there is they want quick turnaround time so we can deliver. But yeah, at the same time, I wish that there is a bit more time for us to build a better product. Um, so there, there's that constant struggle, right? Um, how fast? I don't know. It depend, depending on what feature that we're building, right? Um, so... Let me let me read to you what I wrote for the job description, and you know you, you may not have feedback, but if anyone's listening out there, they you know, they can say something about it or see if it any, make any sense. Um, so, being a product owner, um, my number one role is to become the gatekeeper and the owner of the product backlog. What's a product backlog? So, huh? That's a that's actually a very loaded question. Uh, but product backlog. Give me a, explain it in like, I don't know, two sentences. So if you have a, let's look at a very simple product, uh, Instagram. Instagram is a piece of software that allows people to post pictures, right? Uh, it can post pictures, it can post videos, it can have internal chats. Um, these functionalities are features or functional or, or functions, right? Before they were built, they all live somewhere. And in, in my world, they are called the backlog. It's a it's a backlog of features that the team will eventually build and fulfill the the aspect of the of the software that people will use. Mm-hmm. Right. So all these features of posting pictures, posting videos, these are this live in the backlog first before they get built. Okay. Um, and how do how do these features get put into backlog? Uh, it could be a combination of people, stakeholders, uh, user that had 
use the app before or use something similar and say, you know, we need to have these features. Um, so, okay, we, we, we put these features into, into the backlog. Um, so I can't, as a product owner, you shouldn't blindly put features into a backlog. You know, does it make sense to have these features in the backlog? Uh, what, does, what kind of value does it bring to you? So you're going to have to get buy-ins from different people that are the stakeholder to the project or to the product. Um, when I say buy, get buy-ins, uh, I, I kind of have to sell the feature to the people that I work for, right? Um, get their feedback, get their, um, essentially their, their financial consent for us to actually build it. Um, uh, so I, I, part of what I do daily is to continuously refine what that backlog looks like. You know, once it's built, that item gets you know, taken out of the backlog, then we move on to the next big thing that's important to the company. Uh, so I prioritize it. I sequence the items in the, in the list. Um, do you put do, a money value to it? Often, yeah. You, you kind of have to. Like because, budgeting for each backlog item? Yeah. I, I think that's, that's, that's the core, uh, one of the core responsibilities of a product owner, right? How do, you, how do you justify a feature if it doesn't make you money? Right. What does, how do you, but sometimes money is not the, the only measurement or mm -hmm. measuring units on the business values. Right. Sometimes it could be, you know, we just have to fork, uh, we, have to, we just have to fork the money and, you know, just better build a better experience in, in a sense that actually didn't provide you more money, monetary values, mm -hmm. but, you know, people using it will be happy. Mm -hmm. And so I guess indirectly it still translate to, more money because more people that finds the product desirable to you, yeah, desirable. Mm -hmm. You know, more people want to use it, right? So I think there's, there's always a business value that you have to tie to each features. Um, and I I have to I often enough do workshops, right? I work I do workshops for with clients figuring out what the requirements are. I do workshops with developers, uh, explaining to them, walk them through what the requirements are. Uh, I could do workshops to do demos for stakeholders so that they know what the what, what, what's the software state is or is in. Uh, help break down features. I write user stories. Um, so we can talk about like all these tools that we could use on our day-to-day -day jobs. And I set goals and visions at the beginning of each sprint for the team so that when they're when they're actually doing development work, there is a goal that they're trying to hit. Uh, I participate in all uh, sprint rituals, agile rituals. Um, I review the product progress uh, just to see how, how far along we are. Um, you know, I, I'm also owning the the roadmap of where where the product would be three months, six months, nine months down the line. Um, so I'm constantly looking at: Are we going the right direction? Are we moving the needles to where we need to be? Um, you know, has the authority to accept or reject when the work is done. Um, sometimes, you know, a feature gets built, it meets all the requirements. QA says it looks good. Designer says, yeah, you, you, it did it, but at the end of the day, no one's using it, right? So does that still count as a successful feature? So do you guys track it though? Like who, the usage and stuff? I, I, no, not Google yet. Not yet. So I, don't, I think we, we have those. Uh, tracking capability in place, mm -hmm. but we haven't had enough users on the system to really say, 
Is, you know, is mm-hmm. this actually being used? Maybe you know. Maybe just testing in. Yeah, what I what I consider feature parity when the when all the features are built, we we launch it to the market. A lot of people are using it. Maybe at that time, we'll be like, yeah, no one's actually using this product, mm-hmm. right? Then that that's a major fail. Hopefully, that's not the case, right? Like you, once you have enough people on the system, you can see where the hotspots are, what, what feature people are using, what functionality you know people are not mm-hmm. using, and then we can kind of reiterate and make the product better. That's the time where I use uh, a UX person to to make the thing better. Uh, what else do is there for job description? You know, collect requirements for stakeholders. You know, create a feedback loop with customers. Uh, provide technical support where necessary. Uh, I think that's debatable. Um, the reason that kind of came up was because the other product owner that I that I work with, he's very technical. He had a development background, and he's always into the database, making changes, and you know, writing writing queries and all that. Yeah, yeah. For the product, product managers and product owners, that once upon a time I was in that role too for three months. <laughs> product manager, do, so do and think, I have to go into SQL and. So, and do you think that being tech technical support. is is essential for a product owner? I think it's good to have because you can troubleshoot things as well that, for the client. Is that because? You know, wearing multiple hats, or is that, you know, uh, the, because you I don't did, trust the people on your team? No, the, I think essentially you know the business rule best out of everyone else. Really? I think you're supposed to. Because you talk to the client directly, you know all the logics and the, the business rules, yeah. Okay. It's, so, it's kind of like, he, you know, to design a car, you have all these components that you have to put together. Yeah. But you've, you've never actually put those components together yourself. You're just the one who designed it. Yeah, you're supposed to know the, the in and out stuff. But do you feel like the people that's building it should know more or just as much? Um, I think there is always a, a, like, there's some knowledge always slips through the crack during this, this the, the workshop that you do to transfer the knowledge to engineers. Okay. Or maybe you guys see it from a different perspective. But I think it's handy to have that that tech side or you you have very reliable resources that you can always go to when you have a question. Mm-hmm. So so where I where I'm at today, I have no access to GitHub. I have no access to any of the repositories. Maybe that's for purpose. Like they don't want you to touch it. They don't want. Maybe they don't trust me for going to the system and start messing. Yeah, because right? I messed up the GitHub before, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not a good thing. <laughs> I, I think. I think because I'm, I'm not a developer by trade. Yeah. One, I don't feel comfortable around you know messing around with the repository. I know where things are, mm. but I don't want to touch it. Yeah. Right? I, I trust my team doing their own due diligence. So that they, I have, I give them full freedom of creative and control on how they want to develop the product. But do you have like a trusted go-to tech guy that, if something comes up in production, that say like, oh, we just launched and then this thing uh, is not showing the right number. Let's say, do you have someone to go dive in? I have one or two. Um, I wouldn't say I have one person that is always my go-to mm-hmm. because everyone does different part to the whole project, right? Mm-hmm. So you know that there are people that you can rely on in terms of investigations, 
deep dive and all yeah. that stuff. Um, you know, I think in, in the perfect world, and I think a lot of companies struggle through this, is the knowledge transfer between the people that you work with. It's, I don't think it's ever even. Mm-hmm. Some people knows more than the other. Mm-hmm. Some people are very, they, they guard it very closely to them. Like this is what they have learned and then they don't don't wish to depart those knowledge. Mm-hmm. They I don't mean, even document things. Maybe it's for job security. Who knows, I right? But, but I think to the point of in the perfect world, everybody should know everything, right? Mm-hmm. And then, so you shouldn't have one go-to person. You have one go-to team mm-hmm. for your product. So anyone in... In, in that team should be able to answer any questions that you throw at them. Mm-hmm. If, if they don't know, they should be able to have, they should have the capability of finding out the answers themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, 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 again, that, I think that's just. So in that, that world, then yeah, you don't need any technical background. Yes. Yeah. Actually, no, I, I, maybe I, I need to disagree there too, though, because if you really don't know how software works, if you don't know the, the fundamentals and if you don't know if you didn't have any experience in how to build a software from beginning to the end it's hard it's hard for how, how do you own feature sets if you don't know how things are built right if you don't know what a database is if you don't know what a web server is you don't know you know what, what's caching like all, all these are i'm swing our random terms like <laughs> they make they, they make no points to what, what i'm trying to argue but um you know the I think you need to know, you need to be a technical to a certain degree, but you cannot not have any technical background, mm-hmm. right? So I, I prefer no access to the code repositories. I, I, I think people can manage that mm-hmm. way better than I could. Mm-hmm. I think It's just way, a waste of time for, for, for us for, to struggle through and then do it, right? Not, not, not necessarily. I think... You know, if I if I really have the technical know hows, you know, if I have the freedom, if I have the time, I, I don't mind going and take a look at what people are doing. Uh, but there are governing bodies at work that keep those in check, right? You have DevOps, you have security teams, you have the architects, you have the technical leads for each of the teams. So I think if you if you don't have any of those kind of like going back to our conversation about wearing multiple hats mm-hmm. then yeah it makes sense for the product owner to be technical mm-hmm. right when your teams are so small and people have to share the load to deliver something then yeah in that stage it makes perfect sense for the product owner to be super technical mm-hmm. uh you know maybe that person also goes in and do development work um maybe that person also does design work mm-hmm. right like i think we've, we've gone through that and Again, you're not good at anything you do. Okay. Uh, what else did I write? Uh, I think the other ones are just nice to have. You know, manage dependency outside of your product, remove impediments, you know, uh, understanding good coding practice, good understanding of continuous in- integration mm-hmm. or improvement. Uh, so I, I wrote this. I what am I trying to do here? So, with the job description, the, how many items are there? Uh, it's a whole bunch. Twenty-four ish, something like that. So, the reason I came up with a job description is I want to I want to build a job family, right? Being in, in a company, I'm not saying that the company I work at doesn't recognize the importance of a product ownership. I think a product owner cannot succeed if there is no peripheral staff or people around them to make it successful right so imagine that in the in the development group you only have junior developers you don't have 
intermediate senior developer architects are there to support them, then it's really hard for you to build a good product. Same thing for being a product owner. You need to have proper support group. Product owner doesn't know everything, right? But they are very good at solutioning for something. Um, however, the part of solutioning is you need to be able to bounce ideas off of different people to make to validate your ideas and validate your solutions. Sometimes it's not something that you can get out of the architects. Sometimes it's not something you get out of developers. Sometimes you just need to talk to someone else who also has the right product mindset uh, for you to kind of talk to. Um, so having two product owner, I think it's great. I can always bounce idea off of this guy. But I think from an escalation point of view, you know, there should be a director above me. There should be a VP above that person and a VP above that person and should kind of report into, I don't know, CTO. No, but what's their job then? I think, so let's take one step up, right? Let's say if we talk about the director of product management, that person will be more in control of resources, you know, coaching, mentoring, different product owners, product managers, um, you know, setting best practice, uh, you know, create the center of excellence for uh, how to be a good product owner, right? And, and should they be creating the process too? To they should. They should definitely create the process because from, from a director perspective, you are setting directions, right? Mm. Um, and the direction is not just for the product owner. It's actually for a group of products, mm -hmm. right? So when you have a group of products, how do you align all the product roadmaps together. It has to achieve something, right? Mm -hmm. Greater than just a product itself. Um, so I think that hierarchy helps mm -hmm. from an escalation point of view, from mentoring, coaching perspective. Uh, and then if you have a body of product managers or product owners, um, similar to uh, project management office, you have a bunch of project managers and you have program managers and you have project management, off, uh, man PMO managers, um, these hierarchy are in place uh, to support each level in the company. If, you are, if, you're, if your family group is just product owners, then you don't really have a place to stand on when, a, when things get escalated, right? Who do I who So you do own I it. To? You own it. You can, you can own it. <laughs> and I, I love to own it, right? Like for it. But then again, then you're wearing different hats again. So I, I think... We always go, keep going back to the topic of uh, wearing different hats, and you know you can you can be a very good product owner, but you can be a very shit very shitty director, or you can be a very good director, but then kind of fall short on the product owner side, mm -hmm. right? So uh, I, I don't know what I'm trying to get to there, but but I feel like if you have a, a well defined job family with a good supporting structure, then the product ownership or the product management group will eventually succeed in whatever product that you're trying to, to build and deliver. Um, so I, I think that's all I'm trying to get to because the way I am today at the, the company that I'm in, we don't have this. Mm -hmm. People don't really recognize product owners, the importance of product owners. Mm -hmm. um, so if you don't have proper stru support structure, I, I'm hoping that department doesn't crumble, right? Mm -hmm. I don't want to be just there to write user stories. There is so much more to, to product ownership. How do you bring a product uh, into market? How do you sustain that product in the market? Um, how Is that do you... the sales and marketing yeah. and all those teams? So that, that's where product manager has a, a big role in as well, right? Like you need to you need to be able to take that 
to the next level. You want to work with the sales team. You want to work with the marketing team so that they they sell and market your product properly, mm-hmm. right? You, you never want people to go out and sell and market your stuff uh, that are incorrect, mm-hmm. right? You don't want them to sell things that are not actually there. Mm-hmm. So that, that's I think that's the number one pitfall for, for a lot of companies. Um, so I think we can we can talk about that later on. Uh, just some some of the pitfalls on how people sell their product mm-hmm. uh, and what is what is the impact for that for the for the product team what yeah. happens after yeah uh, what else can we talk about I think that's pretty much it right mm-hmm. I think we went over before we said that it's going to be a twenty minute episode and the first one turns out to be thirty minutes and, now, and this one it's almost sixty minutes oh jeez. Uh, but uh, so I'm hoping that stuff we talked about is a good retrospective, at least for ourselves. Like if we have a listener out there that yeah, I'll, this. I'll probably like the second week of work, I'll listen to this again. Just just to see, <laughs> just see how, how enthusiastic I was going to work. <laughs> but next time I want to talk about a, a few more things. So so next week let's talk about your um your your week your My orientation journey. week. Right, um, how you're resetting yourself. Let's see if the company is living up to your expectation, mm-hmm. at least for the onboarding process. Um, and for my side, I want to talk about hybrid responsibility. So we keep talking about people wearing multiple hats, but you know, I, I think there there are merits to wear multiple hats. Maybe not multiple, three, four hats. I'm thinking about maybe one and a half hats. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so let's see. I see, you know, having extra mentality to help you do your job, right? Mm-hmm. Like you don't. It's not just product design, not just product owners, not just making mockups, mockups, mockups. Yeah, mock-ups. yeah. So maybe you want to step out of your comfort zone and you know be the maybe some people. Manager. Maybe some people enjoy doing that. Just create mockups. You know, don't come and fucking bother me in my cubicle. I just yeah. want to create things. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure there are people out there who just want to do their do their work. You know, people that says I just work here. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of those people too. But you know, those are those are the type of people. Maybe they're burnt out. Maybe they don't have a goal that they have to achieve, and they they just it's just checked out. Right? Mm-hmm. They're completely checked out. Okay, so um, so maybe let's wrap it up. Yeah. Thanks everyone that listens to our podcast. Thanks for that one listener. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, we'll see you or listen to us next week. Same time, hopefully same place. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Feel free to leave us some feedback so we can make the podcast more enjoyable for you. Tune in next week for more on it.